I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to share a vision. A vision that was given by the Holy Spirit and followed by a word from the Lord. I'm going to share that with you today. This vision happened the other night, and it was a vision of a castle. However, you're thinking automatically probably like a big grand castle in Scotland or Ireland. That's not the castle that was in the vision. The castle was actually a child's castle, something like this, and the children were playing with said castle. After the vision of this castle, the Lord spoke a word. It was from Luke 4, actually. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I am here to tell you that 2023 is that year. This is the year of the Lord's favor. But in order to experience this year of the Lord's favor, we have to do something. We have to throw down our selfishness. Pastor Mark might be wondering, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. Because I I was given four keys to share with you today on how to do that. So you can experience the year of the Lord's favor. I couldn't, almost, I almost laughed because of Barbara's face. It was really made me funny because people are probably wondering what on earth has happened to Pastor Mark. <laughs> has the head cold finally gotten the best of him? Which is a possibility. Um, but, and maybe if you're new to this church, you are wondering what on earth is going on? How do I make a beeline from the door? Here this guy is talking about visions uh, from the Holy Spirit. That was not my vision. Uh, however, it was a vision, and, and, and this guy uh, is on YouTube. It looks like average, average Joe, has a huge following, has tons of different posts about all these different revelations uh, from the Holy Spirit directed to you and me so that we can enjoy and we can benefit from those visions or those truths that he is sharing with us. How many people have have heard the phrase, uh, God told me to tell you, or God told me to do such and such, or the Holy Spirit told me to tell you? Well, we're we're, going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and his ministries in our lives as individuals and corporately as a church. And and I'm, I'm pretty numb, so it didn't hit me until the end of the week, until how important this is right now in the culture that we are in, because we are hearing of movements of the Holy Spirit, and I, I hope so. I hope that's the case. And we should, we should be behind those movements if they are true movements of the Holy Spirit, But how can I, as a Christian, a believer, 
understand what the Holy Spirit's work looks like in my life and in the life of our church. How do I know? Is there a certain way to figure out? Is there certain ministries that the Holy Spirit does in our lives as individuals or in our life as a body of believers? I'm sure you've asked some of those questions. How do I know? How do I navigate through a, a time period like we're in right now where the, the Holy Spirit, his, his name is very popular, isn't it? Well, thankfully, uh, we have answers to those questions. And they're not given to us through a vision or a dream that I've had. Again, thankfully for that as well. Uh, but they're given to us by, by Jesus Christ in this passage here. And, and one of the main, main thrusts that I want you to get from this passage, and you can, we can play with the words a little bit. Uh, you can substitute other words for movement. But the Holy Spirit's movement or His work or, or His effects, what He is doing in our lives individually and corporately will be marked by His ministries that we are going to look at today. And we're going to look at two of those ministries. Now, it's not exhaustive, as these are all the ministries that he does, but two of those ministries, and really, really there's three ministries, but the first one is really combined with two. So we're going to say two of the ministries so that you and I know what the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives looks like. What, what is his priorities in the life of the believer and what is his priorities for the end result of that? What does that look like? What are his goals? And we see two of them here today. The first one that we're going to look at is he gradually guides us in the truth. So if you don't know, if you haven't joined us, we're in John chapter 16. Uh, and today we are going to be looking at verses 12 through 15. So John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15 of the first point, he gradually guides us in the truth, verses 12 and 13. So Jesus begins and he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Jesus just got finished talking about the Spirit's work in the life of the world, or unbelievers, and it was marked by him convincing the world of those three things that we talked about. Now he moves to the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of those who have accepted and believed in Jesus Christ. What are his priorities? And we see the first one that stands out is he is this guide for us into truth. However, it is a gradual guidance. That's an important aspect to what Jesus is saying. How many people sometimes feel like they are overloaded with knowledge or information in our culture today? It's 
So there's, a, there's some phrases that are given for that. So the phrase information overload was popularized by Alvin Toffler in the 1970s. Information overload is one of the biggest irritations, they say, in modern life today. There are emails to answer, virtual friends to pester, YouTube videos to watch, like the ones about visions from the Holy Spirit. Back in the physical world, there are meetings to attend and papers to shuffle, spouses to appease. A survey by Reuters once found that two-thirds of managers believe that this data deluge of information has made their jobs less satisfying and has actually affected our health as a whole. Another survey suggests that most managers think the information they receive is utterly useless. Commentators have coined a profusion of phrases to describe the anxiety, the isolation, and the problems caused in our culture by too much information. Here's a few of them. William Van Winkle calls it data asphyxiation. Uh, David Schenck calls it data smog. David Lewis calls it information fatigue syndrome, and Eric Schmidt calls it cognitive overload. <laughs> happy, happy phrases, right? I mean, people feel that way sometimes in this world. There's way too much information, isn't there? Uh, as a matter of fact, I heard something interesting, and I don't, it's not vetted, so I don't know if, how true it is, but if you were to look at a, a Wall Street Journal issue, uh, you would and read the entire Wall Street Journal. That information contained in the Wall Street Journal is more information than someone back in the 1500s would receive in their lifetime. So that just kind of gives you a kind of a quick picture of how much information we have. Well, I want you to see something extremely important here. Jesus Christ does not data dump all of his knowledge on us as soon as we become believers. Notice what he says here. He says, I have a lot of things I want to say to you, to his disciples, but he says, you cannot bear it right now. The word here that is used for bear is actually to lift up a burden, something that was heavy. A literal burden, it was used to when they talked about bearing up the jugs of water and carrying them around. So God is concerned with how much information or how much knowledge he is giving us. And the, the apostles, the disciples at this point could not handle all of the information. It would have been too much for them. It reminds you of the verse from Ecclesiastes, the, the, all the information, the many of books makes what? The, the body, wearisome for the body. So the way that God works for us, works w- with us through his Holy Spirit is he gradually disseminates the information and it's on a kind of a need-to-know basis. So that's one of the first things that we can see here is that we are slowly guided into the truth when we become believers. That God doesn't expect you to know everything right off the bat. And every individual is worked with differently because we are all on different places on the same path of truth. 
So he's gradually leading us and guiding us. And that, that, my friends, is a grace to us. Because if we knew everything that we're supposed to know, we would just probably collapse and die. I, I used to think of this when I first became a believer. I thought often that I said, part of God's grace, I believe, in my life is that he has not revealed all the ways I am so sinful all at once. Because if he did, I would probably jump off a cliff or something. And he, he works with us. He works, works with us where we're at, on the path, in our spiritual maturity. These guys weren't ready. They, by Peter, right? Good example. Was Peter ready for everything that God had for him to do? Was he mature in the faith? And, and you want to do a great study of the Holy Spirit. Look at the difference in the lives of the disciples before and after. Radically changed. Peter, radically changed from fearing a servant girl to proclaiming the gospel to thousands of people. Radically transformed. It shows us how much we need God's Spirit in our life. And it also shows us that Jack Nicholson was correct. There are at times in our life where we actually cannot handle the truth. It is just, if you've never seen that movie, you can look up the quotes from A Few Good Men. But we see what this gradual guidance looks like. I mean, just those bullet points there. So he takes our spiritual maturity into account. So if you're a new believer or if you're just learning about Christianity, God takes that into account. And he doesn't expect you to, to be where other people are at because every time God reveals something to our lives, a truth in our lives, we need to do what? Respond to that, don't we? So when he tells us something, we need to obey that. When he illuminates a truth in our hearts, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and he goes ahead of us and we follow him. So then we move ahead on the path. So we're all on the same path of truth, but we're at different stages in that path. And this is what discipleship looks like. So you, you can't, you're not going to know everything. And, and it is a lifelong process. If we think that we, at some point on this earth, are going to get to some sort of spiritual perfection, please put that idea out of your head. That's just not going to happen. Your times you're going to walk ahead in the path, and then, you know, then you're going to fall backwards. <laughs> and you're going to be like, oh, I've been here before. I've seen this, 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 these trees along this path. And we, we also see that he illuminates truth as we need to hear it. So, for the disciples, he's called, the Holy Spirit has a title here. He's called the Spirit of Truth. His guidance is a guidance in truth. For the disciples, that truth was not yet revealed. So for the disciples, it is a new revelation. For you and I, it is illumination of that revelation. Or he enlightens us to understand what? This book. This is the truth that the disciples were given. And he, he teaches us. That is the second aspect that we see here. When he uses the word discloses to you, it means he teaches you. God teaches you to understand the truth as he guides you along this path 
as you and I follow Jesus Christ. So he doesn't give it to us all at once, but he kind of gives it to us bit by bit. And we know that our circumstances in our lives produce those opportunities for you and I to what? Learn more. And we need to respond and cooperate with Him as we learn more. So, we can, there's so many different parallels in life that we can, we can compare with this. You don't give a newborn baby steak, right? As much as, you know, we may think that would be a great idea to get all the protein, right? We don't, so you're feeding a newborn, you know, the mushy food, the food that they're able to digest and intake, it's the same thing with a spiritual newborn. So if you're a new Christian in the faith, be patient. God's going to illuminate truth to you as you need it in your life so that you can respond and you can grow up in the faith. And I love the fact that He, he works with us as individuals. He knows our weaknesses. He knows where we need to grow. He knows everything about you. You know, when I, one of the first things a good guide when you go guide when you go fishing with a guide, um, we go fishing with guides sometimes. A good guide is going to ask you a question. He should at least. He's going to ask you, "How experienced are you at fly fishing?" Because that is going to dictate where he takes you and how much help he needs to give you. So I know when I go fly fishing with, say, Pastor Kevin, I know we're not going to go to the hardest spots. And even though I may be capable of handling those spots, (laughs) I just know that he's going to really have to cater to Pastor Kevin's maturity in the fly fishing. So, So he works with Kevin. And he, you know, he'll work with me, but I'm a little bit further ahead, so he's going to help Kevin out, bring him along, and Kevin is going to, you know, move ahead in the fly fishing path. But I'm sorry, that's just not the truth at all. Kevin's just, everyone's laughing at that, but I couldn't, I couldn't leave that alone. Um, but he, he works with, so we can't, we, we want to look at other people and we want to follow the example of other people in the church, hands down. But we don't want to compare ourselves spiritually sometimes because that we can get discouraged about that. Later on, Peter is actually going to say to Jesus, after he rose from it, he says, and he points to John, he goes, what about him? And Jesus is like, don't worry about him. He can, it doesn't matter if he stays till I come back. What's he say? You follow me. You follow me. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to lead you. And the Holy Spirit is not just doing this in a few of our lives. He's doing this in all of our lives. There are no spiritual elite people in here who have some special relationship, who get special revelation from the Holy Spirit. That's not how it works. And his guidance is a guidance into what? The truth. He guides us in truth. Where's the truth? What's the truth? The main truth that he guides us in is right here. So for the disciples, they did not have this truth. It is slowly revealed to them. For us, he guides us in the truth that was revealed to them. And when Jesus says this, he qualifies all of the New Testament. 
And he says, this truth that you and I have is God's truth. This is the inspiration of the Bible, that it is God-breathed, that those people who wrote this book, as Peter says, they did not follow their own interpretation. They didn't make this stuff up. They were driven or led by who? The Holy Spirit to write down what we have. So a movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives is going to what? Uphold this truth. That's what a movement of the Holy Spirit is going to look like. A movement of the Holy Spirit is going to uphold the truth of Scripture. He's going to lead us deeper into this truth and lead us into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And we are going to respond to that truth and we are going to be what? Changed. Application. The goal is not information, it's application. Application. I could stand up here Sunday after Sunday, pouring out doctrine, pouring out all these truths. It means absolutely nothing if you're not applying them to your lives. Nothing. And that's how we walk with the Holy Spirit. He illuminates a passage in Scripture in our lives at a certain period of time, we respond in obedience, and we what? Move forward along the path. And he continues to do that. It is a lifelong process. It doesn't happen overnight. He points us to the Word. He points us to the truth. He leads us to walk and follow Jesus in a life or a path of truth, which is found primarily in the Holy Scriptures. guy talks about the Reformation and the connection to the Reformation to the Word of God. He says there's a mysterious power hidden in the Word of God, like a great oak is hidden in a small acorn. Or a bushel of apples is hidden in a tiny apple seed. When God unleashes that power, He transforms peoples, He transforms families, communities, even entire nations. Yet it happens in ways that we cannot fully understand or trace, but yet we receive it with joy. He says, many would credit Martin Luther as the driving engine that propelled the Reformation, but Luther said, I did nothing, the Word did everything. What was printed at, during the... This was printed. God put the Word, His Word, back into the hands of the people. The Holy Spirit illuminated that truth. Families, communities, an entire nation, and the entire world was what? Transformed. That's a movement of the Holy Spirit. When the truth of God is upheld in our lives and applied in our lives, and you and I are what? Changed. Can it happen in, in, in these big events? Can it happen? Yeah, it, it can happen like that. And sometimes it does, like the Reformation. And is it exciting? Can it be exciting and emotional? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you something. The, the, the most of that work is done in the long, 
monotonous, tiresome, day in, day out obedience in life. That's where it's done. Because that's the hard part, right? It's, it's waking up and, and, and shoveling two feet of snow or whatever it may be and allowing the Holy Spirit to, to work in your life so you're not complaining or, or however it may be. It's, it's, it's driving to the grocery store or whatever and, and thinking about a verse and hearing a verse on the, on, the, in, on the radio and then being tested in that verse immediately and seeing, oh, yeah, that's, what that, it's, that's where it's done. It's done in the trenches of life. And whenever we see a movement of the Holy Spirit, this is going to be one of the distinguishing features. And this is his goal in our life. His goal in our life is to teach us and illuminate God's truth to our hearts so that we can apply it, we can be changed, and we can look more like who? Jesus Christ. Because that's his next goal. It's in the guidance where he intently glorifies Jesus. Verses 14 through 15. So he says, he will. So notice, notice two wills, two he wills, right? He will what? Guide you in truth and he will Glorify me. These are two things he is definitely going to do in the life of the believer. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. It's not M-A-Y-A-N, Mayan, it's Mayan, M-I-N-E, in case you're wondering why I had that. And people sometimes make fun of the way I say the word Mayan. But he takes of from Jesus and gives it to who? He gives it to us and he glorifies Jesus in the process. How many people have seen Pirates of the Caribbean? So the main guy, one of the main guys, Jack Sparrow. Right? And if you guessed it, it's a movie about pirates and treasure. <laughs> Go figure. And Jack Sparrow is one of the main characters, and he's, he's often hunting treasure or something. But one of the ways that he finds that treasure, or whatever it is he's looking for, is he has a compass. And the compass is uniquely tied to the individual that's holding the compass. That's a pretty neat device, huh? So it's connected to your greatest desires. So whatever it is that you want the most in life, that compass is going to point you in that direction. It's probably way, way more information than you ever cared about for that, for that movie. But I looked at that and I'm thinking that's exactly the way the Holy Spirit operates. His desire, this is, this is an intense desire so you can say emphatically, intently, intensely. His desire, in, as he ministers and guides us in the truth, is to point to one person and one person alone, Jesus Christ. So a true movement or the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is going to glorify Jesus Christ. 
Look at how many pronouns, the personal pronouns of Jesus are used here. It's just an interesting uh, truth that comes out in this text. He will glorify me. He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he takes of mine and teaches you. The sole emphatic focus is on the person and work and truth of Jesus Christ. He glorifies him. The primary person that is exalted is Christ through the transformation of the person into his image, the one who is being led. The person is led closer to Christ and therefore Christ is exalted All future revelation that is given to the disciples expound the person and work of Jesus Christ and the results of the end. He takes from Christ and gives to us so that the one that he takes from receives all the glory. So go back to the pronouns. You look at all these pronouns. So if you have a preacher or you have a teacher and if the guy is up there, now we, I, I'll use personal illustrations, hopefully not too much that so you guys get sick of them. But if I'm, if I'm constantly saying I, 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 me, 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 the Holy Spirit, me, 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 me. If I am doing that, something's wrong. If I am drawing the attention in, in the church to myself, something's wrong. Because that's not the Holy Spirit's goal. If I'm claiming to be led by the Holy Spirit, the attention is not going to be on me. It's not going to be on us. It's not going to be on our church. It's going to be on Jesus Christ. The very fact that we have a culture where we have pastors and teachers and they're called celebrities should blow our minds. It's not right. People need to be very, very careful of men and women who are being claimed to be led by the Holy Spirit where all the focus is on them because guess what? You're hindering His work. His goal is to exalt the name of Jesus, not ourselves, not our churches, Jesus And his work. If you and I are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, we are going to desire this because that's what he desires. And he desires it very, very intensely. And we will say, along with John the Baptist, I must decrease. He must increase. His work of guidance in the truth is to guide us into the character, attitude, and teaching of Jesus Christ so that you and I look like Him. We look more like Him and less like us. We don't lose our personalities 
but the eyes in our life decrease. If I'm exalting myself, I'm not exalting Christ. If I'm exalting our church, I'm not exalting Christ. If I'm exalting my teaching, I'm not exalting Jesus. If I'm walking in step with the Spirit, His goals are going to be my goals. And my goal in life should be what? To do this. So we ask ourselves the question, are we glorifying Jesus Christ in our lives? Is, his, is that our goal? Do I want His name exalted in my life? Am I proclaiming His name in this world or am I ashamed of it? Because we're hindering this work if we, if we are ashamed of that. Paul makes it very, very clear in the book of Colossians the magnitude of this truth. Listen to what he says. For in Him, and notice again the pronouns, in Him all things were created, things in heaven and in the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him, Jesus, and for Him. He's before all things. In Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that he might have first place or supremacy in everything. Everything. Wow. That's a great question to ask ourselves. Is Jesus Christ supreme in everything, over everything that we have? Is he first? Because that is the goal and a marker of the Holy Spirit's ministry. One commentator says the Spirit interprets and applies the character and teaching of Jesus to the disciples and us, and doing so makes him central to our thinking, and I would add to our lives. Augustine once said, Christ is not valued at all if Christ is not valued above all. The pronouns in our lives change from I to Him. It's actually a crucial test for all that we do in the church, in ministries. The test is, if, if there's a Spirit-led ministry, this is going to be the result, or this is going to be a goal of the ministry. Not that we're exalted, not that the church is looked at and said, wow, that's a great church. They have the most wonderful children's program, or wow, that's a great church, you know, all, all this, whatever, whatever it is. Wow, that's a great church. Jesus Christ's name is exalted. And, and even, even when we see a movement of the Holy Spirit in the unbelieving world, right, go to the book of Acts. One of the first things that happens, Peter comes out and what? He preaches the gospel and whose name is mentioned? Jesus Christ. And what happens? They're cut to the heart and they believe in Jesus. Secondly, we see that the, the, the focus is not on the Spirit, is it? 
Holy Spirit is not interested in his name. The Holy Spirit is interested in the name of Jesus Christ. So if we're in a church or there's things going on and all we're hearing is Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, guess what? doesn't add up. doesn't make sense because that's not his goal. His goal is to focus on Christ. His goal is to point us to Jesus. His goal is to point us to repentance. His goal is to point us to the truth. His goal is for him to be completely behind the scenes. So we see movements or we see these works of all the Holy Spirit and his name is exalted. We, it doesn't jive with what we're looking at here because that's not his goal. Now, we can be guilty of quenching movements or work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, without a doubt. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit in our life. And this is what it would look like. Grieving the Holy Spirit is not responding to His guidance. Where is He showing you to go? What, what truth is he illuminating in your life that you're not responding to? Because you're just going to stay right there on that path. God's not going to give you more when you're not responding to what he's already given you. Why would he? That's, point, that's just information at that point. And we can quench the Holy Spirit. And if, if we quench the Holy Spirit when we're not exalting Jesus in our life. It can be a direct hindrance to what he wants to do. Jesus, and we see all three people of the Trinity, again, working harmoniously together in our lives. Jesus receives from God and gives has is well, all that's God is all that is from God from the Father is Jesus's, and He gives to the Spirit, who in turn once again teaches us. And I, I think hitting on this word again for disclosed, it should make us very, very dependent upon the Holy Spirit. You and I cannot understand this truth apart from His teaching. We just can't do it. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have teachers or else I wouldn't have a job right now, right? We, are gonna, we, we need teachers because the Holy Spirit is going to work through teachers in the church to teach us those truths, but He is the one who needs to illuminate it to you. We can't depend on our own reason. We can't depend on our own intellect. You may be the smartest person in the room when it comes to something else, but I'll tell you what, we're all, we all start at the same place when it comes to this truth. And this is what it does. It levels the playing field, doesn't it? Because we all have the Holy Spirit, so He's guiding us, each of us, teaching us in that truth. And we can't depend on experience. We may feel like we've had an experience of the Holy Spirit. It might, not have been, it might have just been the, those meatballs you ate for dinner. Who knows? You know, all this feeling and emotion, we just got to be really, really careful. You know, you hear these crazy things, people experiencing all this stuff and, and waving the Holy Spirit and barking like dogs, and I'm thinking, I, I, I'm trying to find that in Scripture. It's not there. <laughs> so we have, to, we, we have to understand these are His primary goals in our lives. 
It's a long, gradual guidance in the truth, conforming us to the image of Christ as He is glorified through that. Matter of fact, it's interesting because in the same book in Colossians, Paul talks about people who are what? Being puffed up by what? Visions they're having. Claiming to see things, and then who's the focus? They are. Go back to the illustration. If I came to you today and I'm like, I got a special word for you from the Holy Spirit. Who's exalted? I am. Not Jesus, because I have a special connection. I'm the special one. So I'm going to tell you four keys how to do so-and-so. And we can say Jesus' name throughout, it means nothing. The focus isn't there. The focus is on me. He works in all of our lives. Every, Jesus uses the word you, it's plural, it's for all of us. It's for, for the disciples and those who are going to believe in the disciples' message, the message of the gospel. And what a time in our culture that we need this type of discernment. One night, a guy tells a story as we were packing up after a concert. We sent a young woman to pick up our children from the home that they were staying in. The children didn't know this woman, so they had, she had to give a code word that the son, Trevor, would know. It was a secret family code word. So that when this woman would pick them up, bring them back to the church, they'd be able to trust this individual. Later on, the guy, the father, received a phone call. Trevor refused to leave because the woman did not give the right word. He said the mix-up was on his part. He said he had thought the code word was dinosaur monster, to which the son informed him was absolutely incorrect. It's just dinosaur. He said, are you sure? I was certain it was dinosaur monster, I replied. I'm sure, said Trevor. This is a six-year-old. I'm sure, Trevor said. I'm certain it was, I'm certain. Okay, son, I carried on. You're probably right, but it's okay for you to come back with that church lady. There was a period of silence and then Trevor said, who is this? He says, me, your father, Mickey. Now get in the car and come home. All right, he replied, and he hung up. He said, the father said, it was an odd feeling being interrogated by my six-year-old son. He knew the word, and even though the word that was given was close to the real thing, it wasn't true, was it? He knew the difference. I like that kid because I'm probably like that kid. I, I'm, I, I don't try. I'm more skeptical than I should be. But I, I think that we have to understand. There are things in, in, in our lives that may look like the Holy Spirit. But unless they pass certain tests, and John actually tells us, the guy writing this writes later on, hey, test the spirits understand what, in Jesus' name exalted, is a primary way of knowing that. 
test the spirits. We want, we want to be encouraged by His work. We want to understand the work that He's doing in our lives. And that work is a leading, a gradual leading and guidance in what? In the truth. And that work is not just to give us all the information so we look all smart and can impress our friends. That goal of that information is application for transformation and transformation into the image of Jesus Christ so that his name is exalted. So a word from the Holy Spirit is a word of truth. It is found in this word and it points to the word made flesh. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. For without Him, we would be lost. Lord, help us to be so dependent upon Him, so dependent upon His work in our lives. Help us to respond with faith to His leading. Help us to apply the truth with His help, Lord. And help us through all of this to glorify the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.